Welcome to the Addiction and Mental Health Podcast, where we discuss hard but important topics surrounding addiction and mental health. Your hosts are writer and blogger Adam Falk, jazz pianist Michael Palma, and writer and mental health advocate Samantha Mineral. We're not healthcare professionals, and none of this should be taken as medical advice. Instead, we're sharing our personal stories and insights around these tough issues. Let's dive in. Well, I'm so excited to have Adriana here with us. Um, having seen all of the information that you shared, you know, on your social media, on your website, um, I think it's really inspiring and would be really interesting to to dive into what it is that you do. But welcome. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so for people listening, I would love to just kind of have you give a taste of what it is that you do, um, what your main focus is, and then we can dive into a little bit talking about, you know, this area of specialty of yours, uh, which is narcissism. Awesome. So yeah, my name is Adriana Bucci. I'm based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I'm a certified life coach, certified mind-body fitness coach, and a certified stress management coach. (laughs) So lots of fancy papers. Um, But I'm also a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and that is pretty much what I specialize in. In my coaching, I help survivors of narcissistic abuse to heal, set boundaries, and just kind of live life on their own terms. And it's, you know, this stuff is so needed out there on this planet because there's so many narcissists out there and it's uh, it's hard to to like find info that's like decent and makes sense and legitimate. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of ties into, you know, like the one of the first things we wanted to talk about, which is, you know, what is narcissism? What makes a person narcissistic? But one of the things is that they don't necessarily go like a therapist or get diagnosed as much as someone who let's say has depression or has an an addiction who would go to like a program as much as like those types of like mental disorders is that right exactly and it's more like a personality disorder than anything it's and I think they're starting to like change the definition of it as well because it's not quite a mental health disorder narcissism because they are actively choosing their behavior at the end of the day they're like calculating the manipulation tactics and all that kind of stuff so they will absolutely not get diagnosed whatsoever they don't think anything is wrong with them or anything like that so the statistics might seem like it's very low and narcissism super rare but at the end of the day it's like these are people who they don't believe something is wrong with them whatsoever they they don't care. They don't have enough empathy to self-reflect and determine, oh, the way that I'm treating the people that I love is like not good. So maybe I should do something about it. They absolutely don't. They they love treating people like garbage and getting supply from their targets and all that. So they don't get diagnosed. <laughs> How is that different from like a psychopath or a sociopath? I mean, that's uh, that's probably a question for a mental health uh, practitioner more than myself. Um, but yeah, like psychopaths and sociopaths, like they they do like more bad things. Usually um, there there are differences for sure, but they they have narcissism in them regardless. So not every okay. narcissist is a psychopath or sociopath, but every sociopath or psychopath is a narcissist, I believe. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like. I think I, you know, on your social media, on your website, your resources that you have, 
I think you talked about how narcissism is, it stems from trauma and you don't necessarily, you're not born with it, which is, I think with other like psychopaths and sociopaths, there might be more of a genetic variable there too. I don't know if there's like a chemical makeup that kind of shifts the way that they think, but I think with narcissism, it's something that happened, like it's how they process information. And if something happens at a young age and the way they approach things in life, like it's coming from a place of hurt almost, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there is a lot of information out there about like where narcissism comes from. But at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, it's it could be trauma for some narcissists, but there's some narcissists who didn't really have like big defining traumas in their life and they were just super indulged and like spoiled in childhood and stuff like that. And they grew up with this sense of entitlement. Um, So it's, it really depends on the individual. And at the end of the day, it's like, the way I see it is that it doesn't even matter where it stems from. It's just this behavior is not okay. And it causes so much harm onto the people who are victims of this behavior and wherever it stems from, doesn't matter it's uh because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's like just allowing survivors of this to like understand that they don't even need to take these people seriously whatsoever is um you know the the best way to go but it's it's not really genetic um because there's definitely a lot of narcissistic parents out there for sure so if it was a genetic thing then all the offspring of narc parents would be narcissists as well but you know, I feel like it just really depends on how that individual person processes information. Like they, they really just feed off of supply. Like that's the main thing that narcissists are after is getting supply from their targets. So whatever happened to them in their life that made them decide that, like, I need to see this person in a state of distress all the time, whatever it is, it, you know, it's just silly. It's just such a silly thing for them to want out of people. So yeah. Do they know that they want this? Like, yeah. are they aware? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they want. They want to see the reactions out of people. Um, sometimes they'll even say it to their targets if, like, the target's asking the right questions. But oh, usually wow. when you're being, yeah, but usually when you're being narcissistically abused, like, you're just really in that bamboozled state that they want you in. And they're just kind of, like, taking your energy. And it's they're basically energy vampires. Energy vampires. That's a horrible term. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have when you have a narcissist, I mean what can you is their behavior always the same? Does it always look the same from one to the next? Or is there like specialties, I guess you would say, amongst the narcissists? Mm, that's a great so, question. Yeah, really good question. So yes and no. Um, so like they all kind of pretty much use the same tactics, but the context of relationships are different. So like the tactics might be the same, but it might not seem like they're the same because it's like a different scenario kind of thing. So the main thing to really look out for, for anyone who's confused if they're dealing with a narcissist or not, is to look at the pattern, the pattern of their behavior and looking out for love bomb, devalue and discard. That's like the the cycle of abuse. And basically what love bomb is, is what you want to hear. So they will come at you really strong. If it's like a relationship, they might, you know, grand gestures of their love for you, stuff like that. Um, If it's a narcissistic parent, it might just be like, they finally recognize 
a talent of yours or something. It's basically whatever you want to hear. And they study you to know what you like, what you don't like. And, you know, they'll kind of mirror you at first as well. So that, you know, it seems like you guys have so much in common and all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as you're at their level, you start trusting them. And that's why narcissists are super nice at the beginning with the love bombing, because they, they, they're doing it to gain your trust because you're not going to trust somebody you don't like. So they'll be really likable, really nice, really like everything you want to hear from them. And then as soon as you're at that level that they want you at, and they're convinced that you trust them and you know, you're in this, then they'll start with the devaluation. So that's where, you know, the insults will start rolling in. It might not even be obvious at first. It might be super like underhanded, but then when you look back on it, it's like, oh wow, like I wasn't even paying attention. And it's like, okay, that was kind of obvious, but you know, I was in the bubble, so not really. Um, and then, you know, that's where they get their supply as well from the devalue stage. Cause you're just like feeling so like crap about yourself and, you know, trying to prove yourself that you are not what they're saying that you are. And then, you know, they might go into discard or they might go back to love bombing. So it just, it kind of depends, but discarding, they might just be like, well, I'm done. And then they'll walk away and then they'll swoop back in with love bombing. Um, or they might literally kick you out or whatever, and then they'll come back with the love bombing. But that kind of cycle really does keep happening over and over and over again when you are dealing with a narcissist. Um, and it even happens in workplaces and friendships and all that kind of stuff as well. It just depends what kind of target you are to the narcissist because they'll have like, they don't abuse everybody in their life. They will just abuse like a select couple of people because they do this on purpose, of course, because if they abused everybody, then everybody would know how horrible they are. And, you know, anyone would say like, oh, well, this person said this and you know, they wouldn't think you're crazy, but because they present themselves so differently to most people, if you were to ever say something about the narcissist to somebody like in your friend group, for example, and if that person's not ever been a target of this person, then they'll be like, well, that's weird. Like, I've never seen this kind of behavior from this person. Are you sure? And then that creates doubt within yourself. And the narcissist literally does this on purpose. Like they are puppet masters. Oh, that's great. That's super helpful. What, um, what would you say? And you just said, you know, they don't abuse everybody, right? They kind of pick and choose who mm -hmm. they're going to abuse. So what kind of person are they looking for when it comes to abusing them? You know, what, what stands out about those people that they decide, okay, this is a person who I'm going to affect the most? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're vulnerable at all in any way, shape or form, they can sniff that out of you and they will probably target you first before anybody else because um, they love to exploit people's vulnerabilities. And, you know, they'll kind of come in and as like a knight in shining armor almost and try to help you through whatever you're going through. And then the discarding and the devaluing will start to happen. Um, so they will go for anybody who's in a vulnerable situation, maybe something really horrible just happened in their life and, you know, they need support. Perfect opportunity for a narcissist to come through. Um, people who have a lot of empathy, absolutely. Like they are, we are, you know, I feel like all of us who've been narcissistically abused, we're all empaths to some extent. Um, and so we get really much, very much targeted by narcissists because like they, they want people who will you know, see the best in everybody and give the benefit of the doubt and be super forgiving and all that kind of stuff and seeing things on the bright side and just, you know, everyone's trying their best, that type of thing. Um, so, you know, if, if you have those types of personality traits, it's not a bad thing, obviously, like 
having empathy, being a decent person, being vulnerable, even like these are all great traits for people to have. But it's just super important to be mindful that there are not so great people out there who will use that against you. So just kind of be careful who you say, you know, your deepest, darkest vulnerabilities to and all that kind of stuff. Because if you're dealing with a narcissist, they will absolutely throw that back into your face. They they sound like predators is what they, they sound are. like. Exactly. They literally are predators. Like they will study their targets and you won't even know that it's happening when it's happening either. And yeah, they're on a hunt for supply. So, I mean, does this overlap with other types of abuse? I mean, are they, is, mm-hmm. I assume there's a lot of verbal abuse going on, but is there like oh, yeah. physical abuse too with these people? Sometimes, um, not all narcissists are physical abusers, but there's a lot of emotional, verbal, mental abuse. Like it's, it's mostly head games and stuff like that, but they can get physical. So, you know, the second somebody puts their hands on you, that's definitely like, uh, domestic violence kind of thing, law enforcement kind of thing. Yeah. Get yourself safe. It almost sounds like something they would avoid because they would lose their target if they, you know, got out of hand, so to speak. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it would be more obvious that they're abusing. Absolutely. Right. Um, yeah, it, it can go either way with with narcissists. Like sometimes they do get physical, sometimes they don't. But they right. usually try okay. to do like the mental abuse more than anything because that's more under the radar. It's more sneaky. Right. Yeah. So yeah, these like, people, I mean, are they? Sorry to jump oh, over go you, for it. Sam. Um, so these people, are they usually successful in other areas of their lives? Cause I know that, you know, like with psychopaths, we always hear that they're like, a lot of them are executives and very successful people because they don't mind stepping over people. So do we see that as well where they're, they, they seem like they have it all together? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. That like narcissists are CEOs and, you know, stuff like that as well. Um, (laughs) absolutely. They don't care who they step over as well. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like overlapping stuff with like sociopaths and all that as well. Um, yeah, but a lot of narcissists, they will appear to have their life completely together. They'll appear to be very successful. Um, but you know, there's not just one demographic, right? There could be some narcissists that are like not successful in life and you know, they, they take on the vulnerable narc role sort of thing where, you know, they, they just kind of have this whole pity party for themselves and they haven't done anything to better their lives. And it's not even like genuine systematic issues that like cause them to be disadvantaged in life. It's like they actually do it for pity a lot of the times. Um, so it's just, yeah, important I can to totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, even if you offer them a solution, like there's always a reason why it's like a stupid solution or whatever. Like they just, they put themselves, they, they portray themselves in whatever way they think they're going to get the most supply. Supply. Do you, um, do you want to just briefly describe what that is for some people who might not know what that is? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I should have defined it earlier. Um, so narcissistic supply is basically your emotional reaction. Um, and that's pretty much all they want from you. It's ridiculous when you really think about it. It's like the stupidest thing, but they want you to be like bamboozled and in this state of distress and basically running around with a headless, like a headless chicken. Um, so that, you know, they, they feel like this weird sense of power and control over you when they see you in that state. Um, and they, you know, supply, it also really depends on the context of the relationship as well, right? Like supply could be 
resources, money, um, your time, you over explaining yourself. Um, if it's a relationship, it could be like sex and stuff like that. And, you know, just being arm candy or whatever, right? Like a date to certain events. Like it really just depends on the situation, but um, supplies basically whatever they're trying to get out of you, which a lot of the times it's your energy, your resources, your time, your emotional reaction. Yeah, they sound like addicts is what they sound yeah. like. Yeah. 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 Addicted to something weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Or like filling in a, a vulnerable spot of your mm-hmm. life with something else that's unhealthy. And, and the, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's like, I think that's a really interesting connection. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no real like treatment for it too, right? Like unless maybe they go to therapy, but if they don't think anything's wrong with them, how are they going to get to that point of healing? Whereas, exactly. you know, yeah. Yeah. Like they can go to therapy and a lot, like some of them do go to therapy and they'll usually go mm-hmm. to therapy if they're trying to manipulate the therapist. So like couples therapy mm-hmm. with narcissists, no go <laughs> because oh, wow. they'll basically, yeah. yeah, it's, it is such <laughs> a disaster. Like, I, I feel like I hear this every day, like with what, with my coaching, like, Couples therapy with narcissists, it never works. They just kind of manipulate the therapist into believing their side of the story. And then they become the victim. And it's just this whole thing. And sometimes they'll pretend that they're going to go to therapy. And sometimes they really do go, but they're not actually doing the work. And, you know, they're just going once a week to just talk about whoever their target who made them go to therapy, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. or if they're like court mandated for some reason, if it's like a child custody thing and, you know. I know certain parts of the world, like they're with the times and they actually understand narcissism and all that. And they do the psych evals and all that. And they do send them to therapy, but they still don't actually make any progress. Um, I think it's like 1% of narcissists who even do go to therapy get better. And at the end of the day, it's like the person that wants to change needs to want the change, right? So a lot of them don't want to change because they don't care. They don't an issue with what they're doing um and they just want to hold on to like all of their grudges and all of their stupidity at the end of the day which must be so hard for someone who is a victim of this because especially like you said if they're empathic if they want to see the good in people may never give up on this person may always Mm -hmm. want to see best in them and hope for the best be a very like draining relationship forever if it never if you don't ever set those boundaries or kind of cut off the abuser um and it's also if you're if you've invested so much time you know there's that idea of like oh well i spent so much time with this person i can't give up now you know you kind of always mm-hmm. hold on hope because they you know love bomb or they bring you in with some other thing um it's just like a really toxic cycle it sounds like really? Well, it sounds really hard to, especially if they're like a family member. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure you deal with that all the time. Yeah, I was actually raised by a narcissistic mother. So it was it was difficult for sure. Like not a walk in the park whatsoever. Um, most of my clients, they do have a narcissistic family member. And it's just you you want to you want to see, even though this person has hurt you so much, you want to see them getting better. You want to see them like making those positive changes in their lives, but they just, 
they don't. And like, they'll pretend that they do sometimes if, you know, they feel like you're slipping away and you're not giving them supply and maybe they will tell you exactly what you want to hear and they'll love bomb you. Um, but you know, it's so important to pay attention to the actual pattern and the behavior and not the words that come out of their mouths because they're usually completely full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, you know, I, we were talking about this a little bit, um, before recording, but we were kind of talking about how like this term narcissist has been thrown just left and right on the, in media in you know, just when, even sometimes when I'm just like overhearing a, a conversation, whether it's like with friends or strangers, like it just seems like they just throw out this term, um, very loosely. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that and maybe what you think, like, I mean, you talked a little bit about the patterns of a narcissist, but maybe what, how you can distinguish between someone who's like a real, you know, real danger to someone's mental health versus, you know, this term that we use, because we all have narcissistic traits, right? Like we all mm -hmm. have some parts of ourselves that are thinking about ourselves. That doesn't mean we're an abuser. So exactly. yeah, I would love to talk about that. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, every human being has narcissistic traits, like no matter what, no matter how you slice it, no matter how good of a person you try to be, like there are going to be some narcissistic traits and it just is what it is. It's part of like human nature, survival, all that stuff. But when it becomes abusive is when there is, there is that pattern. So the love bomb devalue discard pattern. And like, you know, there's definitely been a pattern with this one specific person in your life. And they haven't changed or, you know, just empty apologies or they've never apologized. They've never self-reflected or taken any accountability. And you're probably dealing with a narcissist. Um, and yeah, definitely a lot of people do say that it's become a buzzword now. But I kind of love that it's overused, if anything, because I think it's just kind of opening the door for like people to learn about it. And there's so much information online and a lot of it's garbage, but a lot of it's great as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, hopefully they come across the right stuff. Like there's some great communities out there, like on Reddit and Facebook and all that. Um, so, I mean, there's, there are good resources out there. So like for someone who has no idea has never heard the word narcissist in their lives. Like I didn't hear the word until I was in my mid twenties and mm -hmm. it would have been great to learn about it when I was like five years old, but Hey, <laughs> internet wasn't as much of a thing back then. Um, so it's good that like more and more people are talking about it because at least more and more people are becoming aware of it. And a lot of survivors are starting to realize like, Oh, I don't have to deal with this crap. And this isn't normal after all. And wow, like, okay, like I can live my life in a different way without having to always consider this person and all the stuff that they're saying about me. Um, so I do love that it's overused. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely, it can be very confusing out there. And people can use it out of context all the time. A lot of narcissists will call people narcissists. So there's another there's another confusing thing about it. Um, so, I mean, it, I feel like I'm rambling, but it can be very, very confusing out there yeah. um, to just see all the different types of information and who's saying what. I mean, people say it on reality TV as well now, nowadays. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like, just as an observer, I feel like on, like, reality TV or social media, there's this, like, stigma of, like, let's say you go through a breakup 
Right. And you want to feel empowered. And so like anger is like something I think like at least women tend to like pull towards and start spewing these terms. But that can be misleading because that could be coming from a place of anger and not necessarily, mm-hmm. oh, that's what the relationship was where I was abused. Might maybe, you know, this he's selfish, but that doesn't mean or she is selfish, but that doesn't mean that they're an abuser. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I really feel like the more that I'm kind of I feel like we're delving into mental health because it is getting talked about more, which is great. There's also this risk of coming across misinformation or information that's generalized or not cited or even like, you know, the fact that maybe some people would have a hesitation about something like this because um, maybe their therapist thinks differently. But I've also heard you talk about how therapists don't always understand what this experience is like, like psychs don't always understand it too because it's not something that does get talked about that much mm-hmm. and because it's so specific to the person whereas like an addiction for example it affects your whole life right it affects not just you but all of your relationships and your everyday life whereas with this it's like you can almost if you're a victim you might feel really isolated and alone because no one else is seeing it right they're all confused mm-hmm. or they have, what are they called? Like flying monkeys doing the work for them, which mm-hmm. um, if you want to talk about flying monkeys, I feel like that's a term that I've been seeing like more and more as well. Um, and just like, oh. you know, it's, 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 it's a lot to process, especially if you're, you know, questioning, Oh, am I a victim here? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And like flying monkeys are the people that narcissists sort of recruit to like do their dirty work for them. So, I mean, if there's someone randomly reaching out to you and they're connected to the narcissist, they are probably a flying monkey and they're probably just trying to get information out of you so that they can report back to the narc and then, you know, a whole thing is going to start. Um, but yeah, it can be so confusing out there. Like it really, really can be confusing. So, I mean, the best thing to do is to just observe, right? Like if you are somebody who's in a situation where you have no idea if you're dealing with a narcissist or not, just throw the vocabulary in the garbage. Cause that's not what's important mm. at the end of the day, right? What's important mm. is how do you feel around this person? Do you feel like super insecure around them? Like, are they telling you things about yourself that, you know, might not even be true, but like you believe it because it's something that you're vulnerable about. And, you know, just doing your own kind of inner work will help you to see for yourself what exactly you're dealing with, whether you're dealing with a narcissist or somebody who's just having a really bad day. But at the end of the day, having a bad day is not a good excuse for abuse at the end of the day. Um, And so when we're like decent empathic people, we tend to believe that everybody else thinks the same way that we think. Um, So it's super important to also just understand that, you know, just take what somebody is saying to you or doing at face value rather than, you know, projecting your own kindness onto that person, if that makes sense. Like if someone's not making sense and, you know, it's, an abusive situation, but you're a decent person, we tend to sort of think like, okay, well, maybe I would have behaved this way if this, this, and this. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I would invite you to just stop giving that person the benefit of the doubt and just take what they're doing at face value. Decide for yourself, 
is this acceptable for me or not? Can I deal with this? Is this something that I want to continue dealing with? And if it's a no, then it's time to set some boundaries. And then when you start setting the boundaries, noticing how they react to the boundaries. And it's really hard to separate yourself from your emotions when you do this, because it's hard, especially if it's a family member, especially if there's all these like expectations on your relationship with this person. You know, there's a lot to consider. So, you know, inner work. And you have doing... kids too. Yeah. Like if you're married to a narcissist and you have kids, mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, we have to stay together for the kids or... No, Mm -hmm. that's really tough too. I can't imagine. Yeah. And like for people who have kids with narcissists, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't stay together, that's probably better for the kids because they're not going to be traumatized as much as they otherwise would have been had, you know, you stayed together for like all those formative years. Right. So, I mean, there is a lot to think about. It is really hard. Um, And there are so many factors. And a lot of the times you can't just up and leave overnight, right? Especially if you do share children with this person, you've got to go through like the whole legal process and figuring all that kind of stuff out. Um, And that can get manipulated by the narcissist too. So, you know, it's just so important to just observe as much as possible. And even when it's a family member, it's hard because it's like, you know, you, you don't want to just give up on your mom or whoever, Um, but sometimes it's like, you have to really weigh out, like, is this what I want for my life? Or, you know, am I here to make this person happy? Or am I here for other reasons? And like, am I, why can't I prioritize my own happiness? And then just sort of seeing the reaction of those people. It's like you prioritizing yourself becomes a problem. That's a big red flag. Um, So just kind of face value as much as possible and just doing some kind of inner work. So whether that means journaling or like working with a therapist or a coach or whatever, or if you have any friends that like you can confide in and all that, like just allowing yourself to like speak your truth and not to the narcissist because they're going to they're going to bend your truth into like a million different directions. (laughs) But the more clear headed that you can get when you're in the situation, the more that your action plan on what to do will start falling into place and it's not overnight it's not an overnight thing whatsoever and i can imagine that the narcissist probably does not respond well to boundaries being put up and you know all of this i i can see them just trying to gaslight and get you almost get you away from the therapist or the friend or Mm -hmm. whoever it is that they because that would be a threat to them right now they have this other threatening person that maybe they need to sick those flying monkeys on Mm-hmm. Yep. And they'll try to isolate too. Like isolation is a big sign of abuse and narcissistic abuse, particularly where they'll just, you know, tell you, oh, you don't need a therapist. You're not crazy or whatever. And it's like, okay, <laughs> but like, I need a therapist because I need to talk this out with somebody and it's obviously not going to be you. And then they'll have an issue with that. So it's like, you're no matter what you do, it's like, you're damned if you do damned if you don't. So it's, you're better off just kind of quietly making these changes in your life and then taking action. Yeah, totally. And, you know, this was something that I feel like, you know, on your website and you talk about your story a little bit and just the things that you've been through sometimes, like, like you were saying earlier, like we don't always know it's happening um, if you're a victim to something like this, because it's one, not talked about enough, but two, like, especially if you're a sensitive person, you're going to get the d- benefit of the doubt. You're not going to assume the worst in somebody, but what are some 
other ways that this can manifest? And I know you talked about your TMJ dysfunction, like on your website, like this, like some wild things that happen to you. Like when we don't address our emotions, it's gonna, like our body's gonna tell us, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's gonna scream at us that there's something wrong here. So what can you tell us about like how to kind of see that this abuse is really happening and even if you're not really aware that it's happening what other signs might there be for someone who's trying to figure this out yeah so for myself I had very severe chronic pain from 2015 to 2019 and I had no idea that this was even connected to narcissistic abuse in any way shape or form Um, so I learned the word narcissist in 2014, which is just interesting because in 2015, that's kind of when my chronic pain really started. And I had Mm. chronic pain in the past as well. Like I had a back injury from like 2006. And like when I was a kid, I would always sprain or injure something. Um, so there were all of these like old injuries kind of cropping up in my, in my twenties. Um, and so, you know, I had TMJ after getting my wisdom teeth removed and it was just this weird slippery down, slippery slope, like way downhill. Um, I eventually got carpal tunnel. I've had severe neck pain. Um, and then I got shingles in my mouth while I was getting my jaw fixed. <laughs> yeah. So I had this like stupid contraption therapy thing for my jaw that was supposed to realign everything. Cause like my lower jaw is too big for my upper jaw. I didn't actually continue going through with this because I'm fine now. So like there is a happy ending to this story. Um, but yeah, yeah, this all sounds horrible. Yeah, it was awful. Like I can't even downplay how bad it was. Like it was no good. Like it was not a good time yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So it was like October, 2018 and I got shingles in my mouth while I had this like Splint therapy and braces to realign my skull, basically, for my jaw to fit properly, apparently. Um, And so, like, you could imagine probably how painful that is. So, like, my teeth are shifting, like, all over the place and then mouth shingles. Um, So that was horrifying. And then I ended up with something called trigeminal neuralgia after that. So that's, like, it's called the trigeminal nerve. It branches off into three spots in your face. It is responsible for you feeling half of your face. Um, and so trigeminal neuralgia is when that nerve is kind of inflamed. It is also nicknamed the suicide disease because that is how painful it is. Um, mm-hmm. I literally told my husband, like, I'm going to try to, like, not die before my 40th birthday. I was 30 at the time. But I was like, I, I don't think I can do more than after 40 because if I'm in this much pain at 30. Like, I don't want to age. Like, it's not going to go well because it's already gone to shit. And, like, I'm not even middle aged at this point. It doesn't make sense. So Mm -hmm. I learned about the mind-body connection randomly. I was just sort of scrolling on Facebook. I got this ad for this app called Curable. And basically, the whole concept behind it was that any physical chronic pain that's been persisting for more than six months, um, because original injuries are technically supposed to heal themselves within three to six months. So for me, it was I was going on year four of like this wisdom tooth extraction. So it was just crazy. Um, and you know, any sort of pain that it's not like you've been tested at the doctor, they've determined you don't have like a condition that's life or death or anything like that. Um, then this can count for that. So things like chronic fatigue, things like even anxiety and depression can 
classify as the mind-body connection. Um, but of course, always listen to your doctor's advice, but there's no harm in processing your emotions. Um, so basically, I got this app and I learned about it. I was super offended by the concept at first because I didn't think I had repressed emotions. And mm. so I figured out eventually that I did have repressed emotions <laughs> through doing the inner work. And it dawned on me that like narcissists need you to repress your emotions, because if you're repressing your emotions, you're confused. And confused people are easier to control. So I spent my entire life having been raised by a narcissistic mother, repressing my emotions. I dated a whole bunch of narcissists before I found my husband. Um, I worked for narcissists. I had best friends who were narcissists. So it's like, mm. I just thought this was normal behavior from people. Like, I didn't know how, like, normal, healthy. Yeah, you didn't know any different, were. right? Exactly, exactly. And so my body was screaming at me by that point, and I had to process my emotions. So basically just kind of crying a lot, um, letting myself feel my emotions, feeling the emotion physically in your body and all that. And then, then I got all this clarity. And I was out of pain within four months of doing this work, and I'm still doing the work three years down the wow. line. Yep. <laughs> so no more chronic pain, all the clarity in the world, but it's not easy. Because repressing your emotions is done as like a survival thing. It's done when we're in childhood. So especially anybody who's raised by a narcissist, if your parent is invalidating your emotions, it becomes life and death. And the kid brain, it literally translates, if I feel this emotion, I'm going to piss my mom off. If I piss her off, she's not going to love me anymore. If she doesn't love me anymore, I'm going to die. So your brain literally thinks that you're going to die from your emotions. And that's why it can be so hard to just let yourself feel whatever you're feeling. And like society doesn't help. And, you know, society doesn't do emotions whatsoever. Um, right. So it's really hard, right? Like it's so hard to feel your feelings. But once you start doing it, it starts making so much more sense. And that's really the way to like become gaslight resistant and become, you know, it's like a shield of armor against manipulation tactics because when you mm -hmm. process those emotions, you become more clear-headed and you can actually see at face value exactly what's happening. So, you know, for me, the abuse that I had been through for like almost three decades manifested very physically and processing that was really what I needed to do. And I'm so happy that I found out about it and that I did it. And yeah, that's kind of why I became a coach at the end of the day. Cause it was like, all right, people need to learn about like how to do this inner work because it's going to change their lives, not just for chronic pain, but like for, you know, dealing with narcissists, even with setting boundaries. Cause it's so hard to set boundaries if you have all of this repressed guilt. And so instead of like feeling your guilt, because we're not taught to do that, kind of act on the guilt and it's like okay well I'll give them this one more chance before I set this boundary or okay I'll cave in this one last time and like each time just becomes that last time because you're so guilty but if you actually let yourself sit with the guilt and process it it actually goes away and you realize mm -hmm. that there was nothing to actually feel guilty about because you're not doing something bad to this person by setting boundaries you are technically mm -hmm. doing something bad you're taking away supply but you're not actually in the wrong here. So it takes doing that emotional work to actually figure that out for yourself. So I, I don't even remember what the original question was. <laughs> no, that was we great. Were, that was great. Yeah. We were talking about repressed emotions. And, you know, I think a lot too, I don't know, Adam, if you feel like this happens too in the addiction space, but like 
someone has depression and anxiety, there was there have been studies that show like if you're a kid who struggles with like stomach issues growing up, that is like your body's way like of saying like I'm anxious or like your body's just not functioning because your mind's not functioning and your your whole like you know holistic self isn't feeling good and studies have shown that if you have stomach problems as a kid you are likely to have depression anxiety later on so and i I also feel like you know doctors or maybe there's a stigma that target the problem like the one problem right you like target the side effects of the larger problem you don't like find the root cause so like if you go to a doctor and they're not going to ask you like i mean i don't know if they do this or not but like they probably aren't going to ask you like you have an addiction or like do you have are you an like a victim of abuse like unless you're at a point where like you're going to therapy and seeing a psych like if you're going in for like stomach problem or hives or tmj like they're not going to ask those questions so it, it i mean as much as yes we have to rely on doctors and knowledge and science to make good decisions as a patient, you have to feel like empowered to ask the right questions too, because you might not be getting the answers to the whole question, like the whole mm-hmm. problem. If you don't even know like what else is going on that might be affecting your body, right? Exactly. Yeah, I because uh, with doctors especially, I mean they're they're focused, they're zeroing in on what is the problem that I see, you know, and they're not, I can't imagine that too many of them are trained well in, you know, cause as a, so I've been in recovery for 10 years and as an addict, they just didn't know, you know, they, and they were, and they were very easily manipulated into giving me exactly what I wanted, you know, <laughs> because, because you tell them, you know, you tell them what they want to hear and, or you just say, this is what's going on. They say, well, let me fix that that thing in particular, not let's dig into the root cause because in 10 minutes I have to go into the next patient's room. Exactly. Yeah, they don't have the time to spend on these patients who probably need a lot more time and attention and care and empathy than they can really give in that moment's time. And maybe it's not even their specialty, right? Like Mm -hmm. orthodontist isn't going to know that (laughs) you've been suffering Sick abuse. So, like, exactly. It's definitely important to like think about that holistic aspect. And you know, I'm also I I want listeners who are like, oh my gosh, like, I've been suffering for chronic pain to not immediately go to thinking that it's abuse, but maybe it's something else. Even if it's not abuse, maybe you you are repressing emotion. Maybe you have like, excuse me, you have like de- depression or anxiety. Um, that's just manifesting in different ways. Or maybe you are in a toxic relationship or something. Like, you don't have to be through narcissistic abuse to have repressed emotion. Like, you can repress these emotions for all different kinds of reasons. Maybe you're in the wrong job or maybe, you know, you haven't felt quite open with your sexuality or something and you've been repressing these things because you don't feel safe to share them. And Mm -hmm. I think our society makes it, it's getting better, but I think it's, hard to share vulnerable things um, because you're either going to feel like it's lost to the void of like social media or people aren't going to like take you seriously or judge you or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, I I think 
concept of like repressed emotion, I, I think is something everyone can relate to, no matter if they've been a victim or know someone who's been a victim, because it, like, it really is something I think we do on like a, some level, like as a human, because we have to get through the day in some way. Um, but when it becomes like a real problem where your body is like screaming at you, then you realize there might be something else like deeper going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine too that there's a difference sometimes between uh, you know genders that you can have you know because I can see men who you know are not supposed to not supposed to express you know these emotions of sadness or whatever or women aren't supposed to be angry you know re- repressing these specific emotions and then I would imagine those can come out in different ways by gender. Totally. Yeah. Like, I mean, every, every gender is encouraged to repress their emotions at the end of the day. Right. And we get these messages from childhood, even like, even in school, if you're crying, it's like big girls don't cry, big boys don't cry. Like I'll give you something to cry about. Right. So it's, you know, it's very common to repress your emotions and a lot of people women in particular will say, oh, I'm not an angry person. But then once you start actually digging into the work, it's like, okay, I'm filled with rage. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, and just because there is all this repressed rage, it doesn't mean that we're going to get violent and like do something really stupid. It just Mm -hmm. means we have to sit with that rage, let it be uncomfortable. And the lifespan of an emotion is literally 90 seconds. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. people don't believe me, they can look it up. But the trick is you have to actually accept the emotion and allow it to be there. And we tend to usually just like get a little blip of the emotion up and then it's like, okay, that's too much. Let me just push it back down. And then you're spending years and years just like fighting the emotion to like repress it. And then that kind of can turn into depression or anxiety a lot of the times. I mean, I know that was the case for myself. I'm not speaking for everybody, mm-hmm. but you know, that can be a thing for sure. And yeah, men have to repress their emotions because then they're not, they're not manly enough for society or whatever. Right. And it's, right. it's so stupid at the end of the day because emotions are literally everything. And if people just felt more comfortable expressing their emotions, allowing themselves to have emotions it would just be like the world would be such a different place. Um, but, mm. you know, I guess all we can really do right now is secretly do our inner work <laughs> behind mm. the scenes mm-hmm. and just kind of leading by example. And hopefully other people will see like, oh, there is a good, good things come out of releasing those emotions, even though it feels horrible in the moment. Yeah. And with with the guilt, especially, that's something that, that's interesting to me because so I got OCD too. Um, and it, it's like, I will get, I will think back to these times where, you know, I was like four and did something that was embarrassing, you know, and I felt guilty over it, even though, you know, maybe, you know, if I was an adult and I saw a four year old do this, I'd be, you know, that's not something to be guilty about, but you know, I obsess over and over and these things will come into my brain you know, for no reason whatsoever. It's like, I'm trying to go to sleep. Oh, remember that time when I accidentally walked into a, you know, a stall that some guy was peeing in or something like that, 
you know? And so, <laughs> right. so how do you, how do you help people like, like that when they're really fixated? I'm not just saying OCD, but when they're really fixated on a particular thing that makes them feel guilty that they've done and they just can't get it out of their head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's your journal prompt. Okay. Literally. Yeah. That's going to be the thing you'll journal about, whatever it is that you feel really, really guilty about. Get curious about it. Right. Cause like we can fear the guilt and I can totally relate. Like I, I cannot tell you how many times I've laid in bed awake thinking like, Oh my God, that time when I was like seven years old and I did this thing. And like, next thing you know, it's 3am. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we tend to think that emotions are like a mental process where you just think about it until you're in a really dark place, but it's actually a physical process that you feel in your body. So that's why journaling is so great because once you actually allow yourself to think those thoughts, because like that can be, that can be another thing too, especially like, you know, I, I imagine with addiction and OCD, that's a major thing, but also with like narcissistic abuse, because you get in trouble by the narcissist for even having a thought half the time. You know, so it might be like really scary to let yourself think, to let your brain go there. But remember, no one's going to see anything that you're writing down because you're destroying it immediately after you do it. And so then, you know, you might feel a wave of something happening in your body. You might feel like something in the pit Mm -hmm. of your stomach. You might feel like your chest starting to close up. You might feel like a wave of heat. Sitting with that is you sitting with the emotion and it's going to reach its maximum intensity. And that's okay. Just keep reminding yourself that you're safe and that this can't kill you. And it's not a medical episode. It's literally just the physical manifestation of the emotion. And once you like fully accept it and you let it be there, it, it'll be, it'll be bad. Of course, the intensity, but then once you continue accepting it, it's going to start dialing down and you're going to see the volume of the intensity start to go down, down, down. And that's the emotion literally releasing itself from your mind body system. And you're going to realize you're going to feel a little bit more lighter. Um, You might need to cry it out. And that's fine, too. Like everybody's different. But Mm. that would be a really great way to release some guilt over that weird thing you did when you were four or when you were seven or whatever the Mm. case may be. And like really anything like that's that's the big secret trick. Like journaling about it is so, so powerful, especially in this way where you're destroying it after. Um, And I would highly recommend that to anybody. (laughs) It feels it feels like you're giving yourself permission at that point right like no one's gonna judge you for what you're feeling because no one else is gonna see this you are just being brutally honest about what it is you're feeling whether it's anger or guilt or sadness whatever like and like you said even if it's not journaling maybe like I I feel like you know I, I I'm a big like advocate for journaling and I am a writer. So, and Adam is too, we love to write, but for people, I feel like who aren't even, if writing isn't their strong suit, maybe it's like playing a song or writing a song, like find like the Mm -hmm. thing that you gravitate to because it's something you already enjoy. And maybe make that a part of like this practice. Like if you're really into like wrestling or if you're really into like playing music, like, maybe that can be your space where you can kind of explore these feelings like in the way that you, that makes sense for you. Right. Cause not everyone I feel like is going to have the same response to this. And, and I, I, I think you've said this before, like it takes time. Like it's not something that's just like one and done all of a sudden you're free of guilt. Like, exactly. like anything it's, you're going to have to do this. Like, 
whatever, however you can make it fit right every day. But mm-hmm. even if it's like five minutes, whatever, like you have to make it routine because it was never routine for you before. Right. Okay. You, you never thought to think about how you actually feel before. Exactly. Um, so as long as you can find like the most authentic way for you to kind of like dive into these emotions and feel safe and comfortable, like, I think that's that'd be good for just anybody right like no matter what you're going through um ad- addiction abuse or even if you're just like caregiver or someone who loves someone who's going through these things right like we can't f- forget about them either right like there are people who are supporters they have a lot of feelings too just because they're like exactly. being nice and supportive like doesn't mean they don't get to feel angry or upset or bad like it's okay you know to have those feelings um and not let let it bottle up to a point where your body's like screaming at you exactly yeah like inner work is for anybody if you're a living breathing human emotional work is for you Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, that sounds so hard to me honestly because i'm like i would be I would be the person who journals and then like self-censors what I'm journaling because I'm afraid, you know, seeing the truth about myself or whatever, even if it's just total stream of consciousness. That's your journal prompt. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) About how you're going to self-censor and then see where that takes you. Right. Mm -hmm. Just because you think that's going to (laughs) happen. Right. I'm going to try this. (laughs) Yeah, do it. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Do you have any other questions, Sam? Oh, well, I was going to open it up to, to Adriana. If there's anything like yeah. we didn't touch on that you think would be helpful for people listening, um, obviously, we'd love to have you share like your contact info if people are interested and want to maybe, you know, grab your courses or resources or want counseling or whatever um obviously would love to have you share that but if there's something that we didn't touch on that you think is really important um definitely this is your floor to share um i feel like we touched on a lot of really important things honestly Mm um nothing on the top of my head just you know try journaling honestly see how it goes And you would be surprised, like, you know, and whatever outlet works for you. I mean, journaling will be the fastest way to do it. But a lot of people Mm -hmm. have that resistance towards journaling and just understanding that that's normal, too. And if you are resisting journaling, that's your journal prompt. Like, I don't want to journal. See where that takes you (laughs) after 20 minutes, right? right? (laughs) Even after five minutes, like even just doing something is, you know, is better than not doing anything at all. Just even having the seed planted that oh wait I can get curious about my emotions and they don't have to mean something absolute about me just because I feel some sort of emotion about it that's huge so you know hopefully if nothing this has at least sparked some seeds about emotions and allowing people to allow themselves to feel yeah absolutely this is so so helpful thank you so much Adriana for coming on um, yeah, thank you. This has been great. Yeah. So for people who want to get, you know, your resources, get in touch, mm-hmm. want to learn more about this and what you do and all of that fun stuff, where can they find you? 
Yep. So you can follow me on Instagram at let's get your shift together. All one word shift with an F. Um, and it's the same username on TikTok. I have a YouTube channel that's also called Let's Get Your Shift Together. And my website is letsgetyourshifttogether.com. Um, I offer group coaching. So it's coaching, not therapy. I try to make that abundantly clear that I'm a coach, not a therapist. And um, I do run it three to four times per year. So I am actually taking on a wait list for the spring round. So if anybody's interested in that, they can check out my website or check out on Instagram for more information once that opens up. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Like my group program, not to toot my own horn, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's a really great community. It's all for narcissistic abuse survivors. And it's a really nice, safe space. It's like an intimate container. And if you're a survivor of narcissistic abuse, then it's it's probably going to be super helpful. There's other resources out there as well. Um, I do share a lot of stuff on my Instagram page. So that would just be the best place to find me and any resources that I'm offering. That's great. And also for people who maybe it's not narcissistic abuse, but could they use your resources or talk to you about maybe chronic pain or repressed emotions and all of that? Because I know you're certified in, you know, stress and mind body connection and all of that. Totally. Yeah. So I don't do one on one coaching for like different things, but there is a huge mind body connection component in my program. Um, but I do also share resources about the mind body connection as well on my Instagram page. So yeah, definitely feel free to follow along for any of that kind of content and information. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you managed to squeeze us in your busy schedule. I'm really excited that we got to chat and um, yeah, I'm really excited to share this with everybody. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. To get more mental health and addiction content, check out our blog at adamfout.com. And while you're there, take a look at the store where we sell mental health and addiction merchandise. Thanks for listening. You're the reason we do this.